When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolized Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as the team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry, I'll hang up and listen, I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Welcome, everybody, to episode 141 of Two Goalies, One Mike. I am Dwayne, also joined by none other than Connor Hurley. Hurls, how are you doing? And, oh, sorry, I forgot, he's already in the room. Our guest, uh, Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic. Uh, how are you both doing? Doing well. How are you guys? Sorry for that improv well. introduction, man. I, uh, I forgot. Hey, Normally, it's still the off-season. After, it's still uh, the off-season, Dwayne. Yeah, off-season's over with. Offseason yeah. is absolutely over with. I was but, just going to say, uh, for for months we had nothing to talk about, and now now we have everything to talk about, which yeah. is which is really nice. We I, I think we seemingly teased the Rasmus Dallin contract for like three months, and then Monday morning at six a.m. out of here on the West Coast, we finally woke up to the news of it. Uh, by the way, real quick, that's a that's a nice new hoodie you got there, uh, Dwayne. What's what's going on with that? Uh, not not much, bud. Uh, fatty beer. Um. Not a sponsor of the show, but he, they sponsored my Chickless Cup team this weekend. Uh, very generous of them. And uh, stopped by their Lancaster location. Greg Day Jr. was slinging beers from behind the pine. And uh, me and Johnny Lazarus, we uh, enjoyed a – not enjoyed, but uh, partook in a very disappointing Bill's loss. But uh, the atmosphere was uh, popping, and they had some great food, some great drink specials. Uh, make sure you get over there to Fatty Beer Company uh, if you have the time. Uh, support obviously another local local brewery. So, uh, with that being said, uh, I definitely want to get right into it. Uh, Matt, again, thank you so much for uh, coming on with us. Um, it's uh, it's been a minute since you've been on, but uh, you know, I feel like over the last 40, 48, 72 hours, things have really started to pick up. Uh, wow, okay, <laughs> started to pick up uh, steam here in Buffalo. Uh, Zach Benson making the opening night roster. Rasmus Dahlin's contract, um, you know, just there are a lot of, I think, more expectations or uh, at the start of the offseason. I don't think anyone expected, uh, you know, guys like Victor Olofsson, Zemgus Gergensens, and Kyle Poso to be on the opening night roster, but here they are. Um, you know, just overall, was the offseason everything you expected? And how do you feel going into opening night? The off season was some of what I expected. A few little surprises thrown in, like you mentioned. I I probably wouldn't have said that all of 
Semgis Gergensen's Tyson Jost, Victor Olofsson, and Kyle Ocposo would be back and in the lineup. I would have thought, you know, I wasn't sure what Kyle Ocposo was going to decide. Um, Gergensen's could have hit free agency if he wanted to. Same with Jost. And then obviously the Olofsson question was was pretty legit in terms of whether they would yes. move on from him, what if they might be able to get something for him. And then Jack Quinn's injury throws, you know, kind of a wrench into everything, right? And anything that you expected as far as what they might do with Olofsson changed a little bit and it opens opened up a, a little bit of a training camp competition for some of these young players. And I would certainly be lying if I said that I expected Zach Benson to make the opening night roster when it's not when he was drafted and frankly, not even after rookie camp, you know, because Matt Savoy looked better at rookie camp. I would say Isak Roseanne might've even been better at rookie camp. And then, as soon as they started playing with the veterans, Zach Benson fit right in and his game just translated so well. So it's, you know, as much as there's a ton of continuity coming back to this lineup, you've got, you know, some sparks like Zach Benson. You have a couple new guys on the blue line and obviously the the new, you know, Devin Levi between the pipes for a full season creates enough change that I think, you know, there's, there's reason to think this team can, can build on what they did last year. Um, concerning Zach Benson, I think the question everybody's wondering is what the opening night's going to look like for him. I know we saw him play with Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner in the preseason. They moved him around a little bit. What do you think the opening, opening night line combinations are going to be? Is he going to be on that top line with Tage Thompson? Um, is he going to be on power play one? And then, Second part of that, of course, him being with the Sabres this season is going to be determined on, of course, how he plays. He made the opening right night roster and they couldn't send him back. How long do you envision Zach Benson being with the team? Uh, is it just those first nine games that at least I've heard about concerning his uh, junior status and they send him back to the WHL? Or do you think he could possibly make enough of an impact to stay with the team all season long? Yeah, I'll, st I'll start with the lines. I would... Right now, my best guess is that he will be on a line with Casey Middlestat and Jordan Greenway, which is either the second or third line, depending on how you order them. I would, you know, Dylan Cousins has been skating with JJ Paterka and Victor Olofsson. And I think opening night, given the stakes, everything we talked about with the expectations of the season, Don Granado is going to roll with, with what's worked with Jeff Skinner, Tage Thompson, and Alex Tuck up top. I do think Zach Benson will get some power play time. I don't know if it will be power play one, but I think he might get some time on the second power play unit. It's possible he would mix in on the first one, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he's you know mixing in on that second group. And I'm not going to bet against this guy to stick around longer than nine games. I don't think they're going to feel like the nine games is a hard and fast deadline. Obviously, if he plays more than that, you know, he burns a year of his entry level contract, but they could still send him back after that, or they could drag it out until he can go to world juniors. But I wouldn't be surprised if this kid hangs around to the point where he's just part of the group because he is both Kevin Adams and Don Granado mentioned this week. He's a player that can help them win hockey games right now. You know, it's, Every prospect is different. Everybody grows at a different rate. Everybody has a different path to get to the league. And this guy is so good away from the puck that he can make this jump. It's a matter of how, how will they handle him? Do they decide to 
because those nine games don't have to be nine consecutive, right? It's just nine games played. So yep. we've seen Don Granado, you know, last year with Jack Quinn and JJ Paterka take them out of the lineup for a night or two to let them, you know, kind of regroup and and watch from the press box. Maybe we see some of that with Zach Benson. What I think will make this interesting is that Matt Savoy is still on the roster right now. He's on injured reserve and they have a similar situation with him where he could, you know, play nine games or he could go back to junior. They would need to create a roster spot for him. But between the two of them, you might be able to stretch things out. And uh, if you have the space on the roster, keep them both around. But the way Zach Benson played in the preseason, I kept waiting for him to hit a wall. I kept waiting for maybe he was just running on adrenaline at the beginning. Maybe if you put him on a different line, the magic would run out. Maybe if he kept playing games or the competition got tougher, he would run out of steam and he didn't. So obviously the NHL regular season is another step up and, but the pressure hasn't been too much for him. I think it's just physically, how do you, you hold up? But people talk about 82 game NHL season and your the level of competition is steep. It's more physical. It's a, you know, a physically taxing thing for an 18 year old, but I don't worry necessarily about the travel and all those things for him because I almost think it's worse in the WHL when you're on a bus right. and you're, you know, the accommodations are not what you're going to get in the NHL. So I don't know. I'm really curious to see because, like I said, I didn't expect him to be here at this point. So now I, I feel like I can't bet against him to hang around longer than nine games because he's just, he keeps getting, he almost seems like he keeps getting better as time goes on. Yeah. And I mean, Don Granado even said it himself. Like right now it's about a bottom line for us. Does he help us win now? And they believe he does. And what really has impressed me. And I mean, we can all look at the goals and the point production of him in the preseason. Um, and that's great. But I think it's just the little things he does correctly. He's a spitfire out there. He's a ball of energy. who just doesn't stop. I mean, you expect that at his age and just, you know, obviously, you know, the, you know, the motivation of making, you know, the NHL roster in his, in his rookie year, in his first year, um, right out of the gate, you know, that's a lot of motivation, but like he wins the puck battles. He wins races, the pucks. He's where he's supposed to be on the ice. Like you give this kid an assignment and he does it the right way. And he does all the little things the right way. And that's been the most impressive thing about me. You know, he, the way he back checks, he doesn't, you know, he lowers his head and just skates as hard as he can get, get back into the play down the other side of the ice. Like, Everything, all the little things, that's what's impressed me the most, not just him putting the puck in the back of the net. I think that's what's impressed, uh, you know, Granado and Kevin Adams most about him is just the fact that we have a kid here who is doing the little things, at least right now, better than a lot of some of the guys that have been on this team for a few years. And how do you how do you keep that off your roster, no matter what his age is or his experience? Yeah, he's, what, 5'10", 5'11", 170-ish pounds, but... He's as strong a, on his stick as a as some NHL veterans, and like you said, probably stronger on his stick than some other guys in the lineup. And mm -hmm. he seems like he's always thinking one step ahead. And Kevin Adams mentioned that he, you know, when they're making this decision, he went back and watched all of his puck touches to try to figure out kind of exactly what you're saying outside of the goals and assists. Mm -hmm. What is he doing? How you know how is this happening? And and a lot of it is those little things winning puck battles being in the right play at the right time or being a step ahead of the play and what don granado mentioned that i think is a big deal for their willingness to keep an 18 year old on the roster is how he's handled pressure and 
you know, there's obviously different pressure in the regular season than the preseason. But like you said, he's fighting for a roster spot every night. And there, when there's a kid that's 18 years old, you're almost looking for, you're waiting for it to not work, right? You're waiting for him to show that he's an 18 year old and give you a reason to send him back because that's just the normal path. You don't see too many kids at 18 years old jump right into the NHL, but the pressure never got to him. I mean, he's playing with Jeff Skinner and Tage Thompson and Don Granado mentioned that for a lot of guys, if you're 18 and you're playing with Tage Thompson, you get the puck and you're just thinking, how do I get it to Tage Thompson? Yeah. But Zach Benson was thinking, what's the right play? The right yeah. play might not be getting it to Tage Thompson or Jeff Skinner. It might be holding it. It might be. And he was always just making the right play and playing hockey and wasn't phased by the fact that he's doing it with Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner. And that's why I think he has a chance to hang around in addition to the fact that he doesn't need to play with Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner to be successful. He can play up and down the lineup. He played all over the lineup in the preseason, and that gives them a lot of flexibility on their lines because that middle six at forward was kind of tricky to figure out when Jack Quinn went down with the injury and Zach Benson gives them options. You know, now obviously Olofsson and Middlestat weren't the greatest match last year. So now Olofsson can play with cousins and Paterka. And you have Benson up there with Greenway and Middlestat gives Middlestat a little bit more skill on his line than he had at the beginning of last year. And so I kind of like how those combinations are shaking out. And the reason you can pull that off while keeping the top line together is because all of a sudden you have an 18 year old who's ready to jump right in. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I think his game translates. Um, I describe him as a pest. Like he's constantly on the puck. Uh, more so than any other player at his age I've ever seen. And I, you, you mentioned it briefly, but just like I was watching a clip with him and Middlestat below the red line uh, the other night. They're just passing the puck back and forth and adding that physical presence of Greenway. Like, how do you feel that line specifically is going to translate? We saw what Casey Middlestat did towards the end of last season. He led the team in points over the final 11 games of the year playing on that top line. But the combination of Jordan Greenway, the physicality and his second year in the system, uh, along with the development of Casey Middlestat, who seems to be faster and stronger than he once was, which really helped his game down the stretch. How does that line mesh, do you think? And uh, I guess what, what are the expectations against a team like the Rangers, who is very experienced, very physical, a lot of veterans, very good defense, and of course, a really, really good goaltender? I feel like this is a great test for Casey Middlestat in a way because he had this great finish playing you know with two elite wingers on either side and you saw what he could do with that talent around him and there was a little bit of worry when the depth chart was shaken out that maybe he would end up back in a situation like at the beginning of last year and not have those guys around him this feels like it's a little bit in between right like he's not playing with bad line mates by any stretch, but he's obviously not on the top line with, with Skinner and Tuck. So this is a test to see, like, can he carry a line a little bit with, you know, a younger guy? And I think Jordan Greenway had some pretty strong moments in the preseason. He's healthy again. He seems pretty energized. I mean, by the end of, he knows that this is, you know, when you end up on your second team, that there's a lot of expectation that, that you have to perform right you're you don't get to have the excuse twice you know leaving a, a second team so plus he's playing with his old coach he's you know playing with somebody other guys that he's comfortable with so 
I think the the group will mesh pretty well. I like that that group is together rather than Olofsson playing with Middlestat because Middlestat's a great playmaker. We know that he can shoot, you know, pretty darn well considering it's not really his game or it's not what you think, you know, his game might be. But then you have, you know, Benson who has been finishing plays. And so, you know, you got Greenway clearing out room in front of the net with for two smaller guys. I think it could work pretty well, but yeah, you're right. It's a it's a heck of a test right out of the gate for everybody to be going up against the Rangers, you know, the this team that has been there year after year. Uh, you know, they've got elite goaltending and you know, I think it's going to be up and down the lineup a pretty good test because the Sabres team made so many mistakes that created turnovers and and rushes against last year and the most experienced teams they played against were the ones that that took advantage of it most frequently. So what a great test right out of the gate to play the Rangers, the Islanders. They've got Tampa coming to town next week. The Islanders will then come to town. Calgary, these teams that over the last couple of years, a lot, lot of playoff experience and four out of the first five at home where they really struggled last year. So, you know, you try not to make too much out of each individual game and each individual matchup when there's 82 of them. But that early chunk of the schedule, it feels like we're going to learn a lot about the Sabres and a fast start is a big deal in a loaded Eastern conference. And, you know, with, you know, all these questions surrounding the team, getting some early confidence and getting rolling early uh, is a pretty big deal. So a long winded answer to a a question about that line, but it's, I, I like it as it's, as it's put together because I like how the rest of the lineup looks around it too. Yeah, I, uh, you know, good segue to uh, Hurls. Uh, we kind of talked before the show, like, who are your under-the-radar guys? Uh, Casey Middlestat being at the top of the list. Um, Jordan Greenway being a guy. I mean, do you consider Olofsson an under-the-radar guy? Because we know he can score goals. You know, he was healthy scratched for the most important games of the season last year. Uh, but other guys, like, I would like to see – you know, take major strides this season. Our guys like Henry Yoki Haru, who were, it's such like there was a lot of excitement surrounding him to start when, to start a Sabres career. That first year, he really kind of, you know, uh, I don't want to say, uh, you know, took the NHL by storm or took Sabres fans by storm, but played very well with, I believe, Rasmus Dahlin his first year. And then he just slowly but surely tailored off. Uh, a guy like Yoki Haru, I would really like to see him have a good season because there's so much depth now on the blue line. You brought in Eric Johnson, you brought in Connor Clifton. You got to have to wonder, does that make a guy like Yoki Haru? You know, I've always said competition breeds success. Will that help breed success for Henry Yoki Haru? If it hasn't in the past, it should now more than ever. I'm fairly optimistic about Henry Yoki Haru. Looked pretty confident in the preseason. And I was talking to him and a few of his teammates over the last couple of weeks and last year it was game four against Calgary that he got hit in the face with that puck on a mm-hmm. clearing attempt and, you know, broke a muscle or broke a bone in his face, uh, had a concussion. He was out about a month. He comes back a few weeks later, he blocks a shot. He's on injured reserve for another few weeks. I mean, the concussion, he came back and he had, you know, the tinted visor. He had, it, it wasn't, ever quite right and you know Kyle Ocposo mentioned that that early part of the season is when a lot of guys really 
get into the feel of the season, find their rhythm and all that. And he missed all that. He was playing fairly well in the first few games of the year. And then that happens. And I, I can only imagine how much that throws you off kilter for the rest of the year. I don't know. You know, I've never had a concussion, but to not know exactly, you know, when you're right coming back, it affects everybody differently. And so not to say that, you know, the whole year is because of one thing that happened, but when that's one of the first things that happens to you, it can be, it can be pretty rough. This is still a, a very young player and somebody that they have quite a bit of confidence in. So he's got to stay healthy that, you know, he had some bad luck with that last year, but it looks like he's going to start the season playing with Owen power, which that's, you know, a, a pretty nice uh, setup for any defenseman to be playing with him. And, I think they're pretty confident in this guy to to take that step forward that you're talking about. And I think if he can stay healthy, that'll be the number one thing. And his game can kind of calm down from there. But he did look confident in the preseason. He, he had a couple of nice goals. And uh, I think, you know, the continuity of playing with power for a second year should be to his benefit. So it feels like a lot of the variables have been removed for him. And now, you know, this is kind of the, like you said, the competition is there if he falters not even just Eric Johnson and uh, Connor Clifton, but it feels like this is a much deeper blue line organizationally with Ryan Johnson playing the way he did in the preseason. Riley Stillman's waiting in the AHL. Kel Clegg has some NHL experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if he does, you know, falter, then they have some options to shuffle up the lineup. But I, I've got, you know, a little bit of confidence that, that he can turn it around. Um, it's funny you mentioned that, actually, because I was writing out, what I thought the lines and the pairings were going to be. And I had Darlene and Samuelson power and Clifton and then Yoki Haru and Johnson, but clearly I haven't been paying attention enough. Um, <laughs> what is it actually going to be? Like, what do you, what do you think again, opening night? Like, is it going to be Darlene and Clifton power and Yoki Haru and then um, Samuelson and Eric Johnson, or would they do Darlene and Samuelson power and Yoki Haru and then Clifton and Johnson? What do you, what do you think it's actually going to be on Thursday? So that today at practice, the last couple of days at practice, they've had Darlene with Samuelson, Power with Yoki Haru, and Clifton with Johnson. Power and Yoki Haru have been pretty much a constant. Got it. And but for the last few weeks, it had been Darlene and Clifton and Samuelson and Eric Johnson. Don Granado kind of explained it today as he wanted the guys that were new to the system to be playing with somebody who had been in the system mm -hmm. to help accelerate, you know, their learning of it. And then now they're feeling like they want to go kind of like at forward with what's comfortable, right? They know Darlene and Samuelson play really well together and they want to kind of keep that continuity going. And then the big part about having as many defensemen as they do now compared to a year ago is that they can mix things up on the fly a little bit. If they want, more of an, you know, if they're trailing in a game and they need some some goals, they can play, you know, they can mix things up and, and put Darlene with somebody else. But I do think they'll start. I thought they would go lefty, righty, lefty, righty down the line. But, um, you know, now they're going to have to to have basically two pairs of you got lefty, lefty and then righty, righty with uh, Clifton and Eric Johnson. But Clifton didn't have the best showing in his two preseason games. I don't know if that shook their confidence in that pairing a little bit. But um, I, I think once the competition level cranks up, that's when you see Connor Clifton at his best. So 
hopefully that was just a couple of uh you know preseason games kicking the rust off i'm friends with a lot of guys out of boston uh ruins fans and they all told me the second we signed him they said you're gonna love him uh uh i believe we had on uh billy uh jaffe from uh, Nesson, and he even said uh, he plays what they call what they call them Boston Cliffy hockey. Um, it's a style of his own. He hits anything that moves. Um, is he going to make a mistake here or there? Yes, he will. But defensively, he can be very sound, um, and he's kind of a victim of a very deep Boston blue line that brought in um, Orloff at the deadline. So. You were never really were going to crack top four on that blue line in Boston. You were you were kind of always destined to be a bottom pairing guy. Um, I I definitely had him penciled in as with power, but I'm completely fine with him on that bottom pairing with Eric Johnson. I think that just makes them deeper. Um, and to your point, Henry Yoki Yoki Haru, if he falters, he does know he has a former Stanley Cup champion. Uh, they're there on the blue line right behind him on the third pairing or a young Connor Clifton who is itching for a chance to prove himself on a team full of opportunity. Um, another guy too, uh, under the radar this year. I don't know if he's under the radar, but I mean, just kind of, you know, obviously a big part of that Jack Eichel trade return, Peyton Krebs. Um, I mean, I never thought I'd ever tweet out the words Peyton Krebs is in a got into a fight with Sidney Crosby. What we did. Um, and I love that type of passion and excitement and just, you know, just, uh, just that he's always just a pest. He's like a maniac out there, but at the end of the day, like I want him to be contributing more offensively, not the guy who's doing things like that. You know, I, I want him to contribute more on the score sheet because that's what he was supposed to be originally. Obviously your top six is pretty, locked up um even with jack quinn being out uh you know where do you see him this year do you see him contributing more offensively or do you see him essentially playing the same role he has uh as last year i think he's gonna play pretty much the same role and i had the same thought coming into the offseason that if depending on how things shake out it would be great to see him with a couple of more offensively gifted wingers because they tried him on the wing and it didn't, you know, it wasn't great. He was much better when he was playing in the middle. And so that kind of limits their options in that sense, right? Casey Middlestat was so good last year that obviously, you know, he's going to be on one of your top three lines and you have Tage Thompson and, and Dylan Cousins. So without an injury, he doesn't get to move up the lineup. But what I really like about Peyton Krebs is that, you know, Tyson Jost is a good example of this too. Not every first round pick is going to be exactly the offensive player that they were in junior, right? And if you're picked in the first round, you were probably a dominant junior player. You know, you probably scored a ton of goals, had a ton of assists. That's how you end up in the first round. But sometimes it takes the other stuff to survive in the NHL. And that's what that's been true for Tyson Jost. He's carved out that type of role. And at some point last year, it clicked for Peyton Krebs rather than feeling down on himself for not contributing offensively the same way, maybe Jack Quinn and JJ Paterka were getting going or Dylan cousins, you know, all these guys that uh, are sort of in his peer group, his age group. He, looked around and said, the way I'm going to make an impact on this team is playing defense and, you know, 
being hard to play against, being that energy line guy. And they stuck him between Zemgus Gergensen's and Kyle Ocposo. And that brought that out of him even more because he was playing with two guys that play that simple and direct game. They forecheck hard. They, they play good defense. One of the best defensive lines in hockey by the end of the season. And then seeing him show up to training camp this year, he has more of a veteran feel to him and loves the, I think he really loves the fact that he, he knows his role now. He knows his role and he knows how to play it well. And there's a confidence about him because of it. So you need that to win. Maybe there comes a day down the line where he can, some of that offense will come out because it hasn't gone away. He's still a fantastic passer. Uh, he's a great skater. You know, he's probably not quite the scorer that some of the other top prospects they have uh, and, and some other guys in their lineup are, but he's got all the makings to put up more points than he does. I just love the fact that not, not everybody can score and they, they have plenty of goals. They need guys like him to round out their lineup. And if you're going to be a team that ends up in the playoffs, you need guys need to know and understand their roles very clearly and be passionate about playing those roles. And Peyton Krebs to me embodies all of that. So as much as there's a little bit of untapped offensive potential there, they're getting a lot out of him in his own zone. And that's a, it's a cool development to see because like I said, not everybody can be that that 30, 40 goal scorer. You need yeah. some other guys to do the dirty work. We love nothing more than to have him be in a situation that we were in 05 to 07 with Derek Roy and Max Fennigan up and Thomas Vanek on the third line, but that's just not the case, at least at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on Peyton Krems. He's taking what he's been given, and he's rolling with it. And, like I said, I love the kid's passion. I love his energy. Um, he's clearly – the skill's there. I just hope that this year isn't the same thing with him last year where he's got to be the guy answering the bell physically in certain situations. And like, it's great. Connor Clifton will help with that. Yeah, I hope uh, so. He's a great way too. like, they have bigger, tougher guys than they've, they've had in the past. And you saw Dylan cousins jump into the fray in the, in the preseason. So uh, they have a few more guys that are, it is, Kind of funny that Peyton Krebs became like the. Uh, He's like the. I, I mean, that, like that's today's NHL, right? There are no right. enforcers. <laughs> there are no enforcers anymore. So like, right. Peyton Krebs has to stand up. I mean, I personally love that. Yeah, <laughs> I, it, I love it, it too. Don't seemed, right. I love it too. Yeah. I just don't want it always to be him. I mean, Grant, yes, you said Dylan Cousins, but I hope Connor Clifton gets into that mix. I mean, even a healthy Matias Samuelson. You know, hopefully yeah. get a full the eighty two out of him this year. But Samuelson's a big body and not a guy that that's going to be easily pushed around. I can definitely see him. Hopefully, I mean, and it was it was Darlene for a little bit too. A couple of years yeah. ago, he was the guy that was getting into scrums. Like he obviously has never really dropped his gloves. Um, but I guess that's a good uh, transitioning point. We've got 33 minutes into the show and we haven't talked about the $88 million contract we were waiting on for four months yet. Um, I guess your reactions to that, Matt, uh, in terms of the term, the value, where he now ranks in, in, amongst NHL defensemen in the league. Uh, I think he's third in average annual value per year uh, behind Carlson, the same as Drew Doughty now. I found it very interesting that he signed the exact same term and uh, dollar value as Drew Doughty. And Drew Doughty signed it when he was 29 years old compared to Darlene signing it when he was 23. So obviously 
that puts a different perspective on it. Um, so, and just, I guess your general reaction and, um, does it really get that much more valuable in the next three to five years? Because I think a lot of these types of contracts are projection based and I'm of the opinion that it really does. I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Provided that the salary cap goes up the way it's supposed to, I think that was the hard part of these negotiations for Kevin Adams is that the salary cap is supposed to go up, you know, maybe 4 million next season based on some reports and go up even more in years to come as they kind of pull themselves out of the financial situation from the pandemic. So if the salary cap goes up, I think you're going to see other defensemen sign contracts, maybe even beat Darlene's number. And then you're feeling pretty good about it as it sits right now. Like you said, these are projection based in a lot of ways. And so you're projecting the cap, you're projecting the type of player that Darlene's going to become. They didn't have a lot of choice here, right? I think they got the best outcome possible. Sure. Would it have been better if it were $10 million or nine and a half? Sure. That would have been amazing. But, uh, Darlene has a powerhouse agency and, He's in the absolute perfect window of his career from a team perspective to sign an eight-year contract. You're talking, he's going to be 32 when this contract ends. So you're not thinking, you know, you're not worried necessarily that by the end of it, he's not going to be worth it. If anything, you're going to feel, depending on how high the salary cap gets, eight years is a long time, nine really, because he has one year left on his current deal that, okay, by the end of it, you know, $11 million should look pretty good, assuming he stays on the trajectory that he's been on. And I, I don't have a lot of reason to think that he won't. I, I think he could get even better than he was last year. He looked like a real legit Norris trophy candidate and then wore down at the end of the season because of some nagging injuries. And he played through a lot really from about January on, but he was also playing more than 25 minutes a night. And the idea behind having a more balanced lineup is that maybe he doesn't have to do that. And if you take some of that pressure off of him, I think you could see him, you know, jump into another, another tier of defensemen as it is. I would say he's what a top six, seven, eight defenseman in the league, somewhere in that five to 10 range, depending on who you're talking to and who you're arguing with. But I think most people would agree. This is a guy that's a, a top eight to 10 defenseman at the very worst. And with the potential to be right up there near the top. So it was a probably a somewhat challenging negotiation in the sense that you want eight years if you're the savers, right? You, yeah, you don't want, you can't do another bridge and have him, you know, in five years hitting free agency at 28 because he still will command that big time money. So I think to get him in this window of his career is great. And man, it's a huge win for Darlene too, right? To end up, you know, with an $11 million salary, there's, you know, not too many guys playing that position that have had that honor. So you're also talking about a guy who I think will be the next captain of the Buffalo Sabres, which I think is a big deal. Um, you know, I think whenever Kyle Ocposo decides um, to retire, that Darlene makes the most sense. And he's passionate about the city. He's passionate about the franchise. Like you mentioned, he was that guy mixing it up for this team. Like he is not only one of the best offensive defensemen in the league, he's also probably their biggest pain in the ass on the ice. He's probably like the guy that 
other teams hate playing against the most because in his own end, he can be, you know, he can play with a real edge and I get nasty. Yeah. And he's starting to develop some high end defensive instincts to pair with already a, a fantastic offensive game. So it's uh, obviously the numbers big, but I just don't think there's uh, at worst, you know, at best they were getting them for what, 10. So it's, you know, as long as the cap goes up, they're in a good financial position. Uh, this one felt like it was pretty easy and there's not too much to poke holes in really. No. Um, I mean, in terms of the captaincy, I think it, I, I, up and I mean, I still think it could be a toss up between him and Tuck. Um, I think Tuck, Tuck exudes the same like qualities that you mentioned about Darlene. Um, I've always said it. You're not going to find many guys that had a big smile on his face ear to ear after getting traded from the best team in the NHL to the worst team in the NHL. But uh, you know, he, I, th- I think I felt always felt like he was born to play for the Buffalo Sabres and maybe even being one of the three captains. We'll see. Um, but with that being said, you kind of, you know, preluded to it a little bit. Where would Rasmus Dahlin rank amongst all the NHL defense? Because when this deal was announced, a lot of the outsiders, you know, the, you know, the Mike Grinnells over at Barstool Sports or just, you know, pick your analyst, you know, uh, they all said, really, 11 million? Like, he's not even a top five defenseman. I personally think he is. Um, I think anybody who watched him enough last season and just watched what he was capable of would agree. And he played probably... I mean, most guys play through injury too, you know, by the end of the season, but he was definitely playing with some nagging injuries there for the last 15 to 20 games of the, the season. And I believe had he been healthy, he's a point plus per game player. Um, not that points are tell the whole story, but obviously he's a very offensively gifted defenseman. Um, I'm not saying he's going to put up a hundred points in a season like Carlson, who honestly, I mean, he might as well be a forward at this point because he doesn't do anything in the defensive zone <laughs> worthwhile. Uh, but hey, sometimes I guess offense is the best defense, right? But I, I think in, in Darlene's case, he's just, you know, his game and his own end has come along so way. He he can keep things so he can keep things simple, but at the same time make them look so special. And that's the type of guy he is. <clears throat> and I think this year is a year where he really truly uh can uh can uh, contend for the Norris trophy. I I, I truly do. Um, I think it could have been last year had Carlson not gone off the way he did, but, uh, I think this is the year for sure where he might be able to take home some hardware at season's end. Uh, just your thoughts on that. Yeah. I had him third on my Norris trophy ballot last season. So I think, you know, calling him a top three, top five defenseman is more than fair. He was on a hundred point pace for a long time last season until the injuries started to slow him down. And like you said, he's not playing the game necessarily the way Eric Carlson was last season. He's yeah. he's playing it at both ends of the ice. You'll have a, a healthy Kel McCarr this year if he stays healthy. That that's a tough tough score to beat. Sometimes you know when you have uh, you know that guy's going to contend for the Norris Trophy every season, every year that he's in the league as long as he's healthy. So coming home with the hardware is a challenge, but. I definitely think he's he's in that. To me, he's a top five defenseman, and you know, depending on how guys are playing, this or that. But 
having, you know, seen every team come through Buffalo and, and seen all these teams, there weren't five defensemen doing more for their team than Rasmus Dahlin does for the Buffalo Sabres. And there's some great ones out there, but what he does, what you could see it too in the games that he was out, you know, the, the few times he was out, he just creates so much for them. He gets them out of their own zone at times when it seems impossible. You know, like you said, it, it might be a simple play, but it, it only ends up as a simple play because he does something crazy to to buy the time and space to get them out of their zone. So, yeah, yeah he's he's come quite a ways in the last couple of years. And to be able to get him, this is the benefit, I guess, of having him come right in at 18 years old is now you're sitting here able to sign this contract right as he's entering what should be absolute prime seasons for him. And there's no reason to think he won't get even better, especially at that position where as his physical maturity comes along, he'll be even you know more dangerous to deal with in his own end. I think he's he'll comfortably settle into that that top three to five. And that's where the salary I think you can be more than comfortable with. I think this is also pretty impressive that, that we've gotten about 44 minutes into the podcast and we haven't mentioned Devin Lai's name yet. Um, and I think that says a lot about this team and how exciting it is. And the expectations are higher than they've been in probably 12 years. Um, it's pretty remarkable that I think we all knew watching those seven games at the end of the season that at his best, as, as he continues to develop, that he would have a real shot to be the opening night starter. And I think um, there would be a riot if he was not in net on Thursday night. So, of course, he's going to start against the Rangers on Thursday night. Um, me and Dwayne have debated, debated about this in terms of the amount of games we think he'll play this season. And obviously that depends on his performance early on and how the team's doing, if the team defense has improved. Um, what are your expectations in terms of games played for Levi, uh, goals against average, and save percentage? Obviously high danger save percentage, goals against above expected or below expected. The analytics are – they speak a lot more to a goalie than just goals against and save percentage. But at the end of the day, for, for Vesna and Calder in this case, um, those numbers are going to be important for him. They've obviously increased the expectations in recent years for goalies in, in this league. I remember under two and above 920 were the elite goaltenders back in the day, but obviously scoring and offensive talent is much higher than it used to be. Um, for games played, goals against and save percentage for Levi this year, what do you think? I think games played probably falls somewhere in the 45 to 50, low 50s maybe. As long as, like you said, as long as he comes out of the gate and plays the way he's expected to play, I don't see why he can't do that. The goals against and the save percentage, I mean, I think if he's above – I think you want him above what nine ten to feel pretty good above nine Oh five to feel, I mean, you know, there were times last year where save percentages for stretches were for Sabres goalies were dipping uncomfortably below uh, 90%. And I think if he can, it, so much depends on how the defense is going to yeah. play. Like yes. I have, I have all sorts of faith in Devin Levi long-term and, uh, but I find this season to be so fascinating because rarely do you see a goalie jump from college hockey to the NHL without playing a single AHL game. It does not happen hardly ever. You see it with some other guys 
you know, coming from different leagues, but this is a, a different jump that he's making. So I'm mostly curious to see how the Sabres handle it and how he handles it if things start going less than ideal for a little while, right? Like if he starts having some rough stretches the way young goalies should be allowed to do, do they, they don't have a lot of options to turn to. They have Eric Comrie and Uko Pekalukkanen on the roster, but uh, neither one of them is established as an NHL starter either. So yeah, I, I think if he keeps that goals against below three, the Sabres are a playoff team um, just based on how they scored last year. And they just need to be able to win more games when they're scoring more than three goals. Like when you're scoring four or five goals and losing, uh, you can't have that. And that's what doomed them at times last year. A lot of it was had nothing to do with the goalies, but I do think the goalies had some responsibility there. So it's a it's a really tough situation for Devin Levi from a pressure and expectation standpoint, jumping into a team that until they prove otherwise allows a ton of chances. So I don't have my expectations set too lofty in terms of statistics, but I do think they're going to keep them in the net a lot because I think it'll go back to like what we said about Zach Benson. I think they know that most nights he's going to give them the best chance to win unless mm. things go really wrong but i but i don't think anybody in the building expects that i don't think a lot of people outside the building expect it i think one of my biggest concerns about how they handled the off season is you know and i asked kevin adam this, this at the end of last season is is like what if you're not what if you're wrong about devin levi but what if you're wrong about the idea that he can come in and right away play 50 games and be the, be the answer in net that shouldn't be the end of the world, right? Because yeah. a lot of guys need the AHL. A lot of guys mm -hmm. uh, jump from, you know, take one, two seasons in the AHL. And they didn't really address that. There's no fallback option necessarily, other than two guys who also aren't proven in the NHL. So odds would tell you that maybe at least one of them emerges as somebody who can be trusted nightly. They would hope that, one of the two backups right now steps up and shows that they're better than the other one. And I suppose if, you know, in case of emergency break glass, they needed to make a trade to find somebody more proven they could. But that was probably my biggest concern with Devin Levi is just that it's like he he's on the Island and they've burned the boats, right? Like there, yeah. there's no going back. Like he, there really he, <laughs> he should have the option and, obviously within his contract still does, but it just doesn't feel like that's uh, how things yeah. are set up. But I, I'm confident he'll, he'll jump in and handle it. He did well in those seven games, even when he wasn't playing well, he handles it pretty well. He had some rough stretches at Northeastern last year, got himself back on track. So um, the hope is that the defense isn't quite as porous as it was last season and can support a goalie better. But obviously they still have to prove that they've added some pieces and they've talked a lot about being better on defense, but we still have to see it. And the last preseason game wasn't a it's preseason, but it wasn't yeah. exactly a, a, a big vote of confidence in that regard. Yeah. We all took the preseason pledge here on two goalies, one Mike. <laughs> yeah, no, unless your name is Zach Benson, right. then get excited. <laughs> but uh, for me, uh, we've, we've had Devin Levi on this show, uh, you know, 
almost two years ago before he made the decision to go back to Northeastern. I got to know him and his family a little bit and his best friend, Justin Ritzkoyan, who's not the new captain for Northeastern. Um, and the one thing that was the constant with him is just what he does away from the rink. Um, this, like his teammates joke about it, but it's true. Like they say, Oh, Dev's probably in the hallway stretching. He is <laughs> like, he is the guy, what he puts into his body. Um, just, he's very careful about it. Um, he's a maniac when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, and I, if you, and I don't say this because obviously he's a fan favorite and you know, that, you know, obviously, uh, you see his banner back there behind me, but if you're going to find a guy mentally more reminiscent of Ryan Miller, look no further than Devin Levi. Like I'm not, this is, I'm not getting into the gimmicks of the Jedi stuff or anything like that. Just if you listen to the way, he Levi. Talk, <laughs> yes. If, if you listen to the way that he talks about the game, just the way he sees it, it's so reminiscent of the way Ryan used to. And then on top, to top everything off, even after that, granted, it was a, even if that was a regular season game, um, I think what speaks volumes for me is after that Detroit game last season, I've said this a couple times, he was smiling after the game. And yeah, they got the win. That's exciting at all. But, you know, if me and Connor will tell you, like, you know, any goalie will tell you that, you know, it's tough to shake off a game like that sometimes. It's tough to shake off a bad goal. Not for him. Like, he's just like, let's get to the next one, man. Some some goal you're gonna face adversity. You're playing at the highest level you can play at as a goaltender. Like not everything's gonna go perfect. You know, you know, there you're gonna have bad games. The 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 biggest obstacle is moving on from said bad game and getting right into the next save. And that's where he impresses me the most is he doesn't let a bad game linger. He doesn't let a bad game a bad goal linger. You saw it last year in Northeastern. You saw it last year in that stretch of games he played. And you're going to see it, I think, on Thursday night, an opening night. You know, granted, his last start wasn't a great one. But I just – I think that you have a kid who's going to come up with the timely saves that you weren't getting out of UPL, uh, Eric Comrie, and in some in some cases, you know, not – I guess less often than the other two, uh, out of Craig Anderson. Um, but the biggest thing, to your point, again, Matthew, is – Will defensively the mistakes they were making, are they going to be able to get past that? Because I think, and I, I, the my biggest issue defensively, it was just the amount of puck watching they did last year. You know, as a defenseman, you know I play both positions. You never stare down at the puck, and they did so much of that last year. And you know they got a lot of these defensemen, Darlene sometimes included. They got put on a leash. They got walked. And I, I just don't want to see that this year. It's time to get past those little mistakes. You have guys that have on this blue line that have been there, you know, for five plus years now. It's time to get get past that. You know, those rookie, you got to leave those rookie mistakes in the rear view now. And I, I think if you improve in that, those small parts of the game that you're not going to have, you know, 300 goals for and 400 goals again, whatever the number was. It was, what was it, Connor? 296 goals for and 300 against. It was and nuts. I was going to I was going to I was going to ask specifically. Um I personally think both are going to be lower. Uh I think there's going to be some negative regression from an offensive perspective because I think the Sabers uh had a lot of inflated games last season. I think they had a couple seven goal games. They had a bunch of six goal games wearing the the black and red jerseys. That was kind of the thing 
especially as they debuted those. Um, they had that nine goal game in Columbus. Uh, I think they only got shut out a couple times, but do you believe there is going to be that negative regression from an offensive perspective? Obviously this team plays a run and gun style. They have a lot of high end offensive talent. And then you add a guy like Zach Benson to the mix. I don't necessarily think scoring 280 or 295 instead of 296 is going to be that big of a deal. Obviously, if you're letting in less than 300, because that has to be the main focus at this point. Of course, you still want to have that Don Granado free play style, but are they going to be able to have that like 275 to 280 goals against? Because as you said, like that's what makes this season so fascinating. We know they can score goals. They might not score as many goals as they did last season, but can they prevent those goals? Um, what do you think in terms of those numbers? Like, will both be lower, one, one be higher than the other? What do you think? I think there's a good chance both will be lower because the way they're talking anyways, the way that Don Granado and some of these players are talking is that the way they started to play at the end of the year with a greater attention to detail in their own end and, you know, not even just in their own end, but in all three zones, you know, to transition themselves into playing defense and not turn the puck over as frequently as they did. They were able to win some different style of games, different. You saw some different scores, some lower scoring games. And so I don't think they're going to reinvent the way that they play necessarily, but now that they know they can score and you know, that they've developed that confidence in a lot of these guys individually and they've proven it i think they dial things in a little bit more defensively and you're going to sacrifice some offense most likely in the process you're probably not going to be third highest scoring team in the league and you know a top three defensive team in the league it's just not many teams are able to pull that off but i think it's they'll find a good balance there and that's the key is you know still still being able to score because they don't have the personnel or the the style of play to be winning two to one hockey games every night but they need to be able to hold teams under three more often hold teams under four more often there was too many of those games last season that got out of hand and i do think that they played a bit more inspired in front of devin levi in some ways like he energized them at a time when they were already, you know, fighting for their playoff lives. So there was some of that thrown in there too. But to Dwayne's point about how this guy prepares off the ice, what who he is just, you know, between the ears and his ability to, he's got so much enthusiasm. You know, the guys laugh about, you know, just how excited he is all the time around the rink. You hope that pro hockey doesn't rob him of any of that. But at least at his age, he's going to, I think, infuse some of that energy into the team and there's a there's probably a an ownership that these guys take in him and his season and his development that they want to play well in front of him they know the type of player he can be and where he can take them when he reaches his ceiling and if that translates from those seven games into this season then i think you'll see a tighter group defensively so i man if that that number better go down, right? It can't go up. So, but I do think the offense will come down with it a little bit too. No, I that definitely that number definitely can't go up. Like, 
Um, There's not much room for it to go up. I know know that's a lot of goals against. I know we spoke. I didn't really get to to speak on it earlier, but in terms of, I definitely think Devin Levi will be in that race for the call there with guys like, you know, Logan Cooley, Fantilli, and of course, Connor Bedard. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, and I think he's going to pick up where we left off in terms of like goals against and save percentage. I think the biggest thing will be wins. Like how many wins is he going to get for Buffalo here? Cause that to him, and I know this for a fact, like to him, that's the only number that matters. He does not care about the other two. He cares about winning at the only thing. That's the only number that matters to him. And, you know, if he can rip off like 35, 30, 35 plus wins this season and, maintain like a 905 and maybe a 370 save percent or 370 goals against or 270 goals against. Sorry. Um, I think he runs away with it personally, unless Connor Bedard goes out there and puts a hundred point season. Um, but if he helps get this team to the playoffs, I mean, after 11 years, I mean, how, how, how is he not in that conversation? I, I just, I think that he has all the makeup both physically and mentally to be in that conversation for sure. Um, and I'm, I, I've never been this excited to see a goalie play since probably Mil- Miller. You know what I mean? Like Miller coming out of college, you know, and the AHL after the lockout, like that's the last time I was this excited about a goalie. Um, and I, I just, I have that much belief in his ability. So, um, before we let you go here, uh, me and Connor are also talking about the Vegas line has Buffalo at 92 and a half points. Do you have them over or under? Uh, what Vegas is predicting right now. Cause I'm going to flat out say right now, I have them over. That's a good line, isn't it? That's a it was yeah. 91. They, yeah. It was they, 90, uh... it was 91. And that's like with that super strong stretch at the end of the year. And also like, didn't they go one of nine in mid March too? Yeah. So... And they had a, was it, I think it was an eight game losing streak from like in November, maybe spilled into December. Out. Yeah. So that was a weird season. They they know how to set those lines though. I think yeah. I would have to check, um, double check, but I think Dom's model at the Athletic has them right around ninety two and a half as well. I'm taking the over too. Uh, you know, it's I've gone back and forth in the preseason. Like, are they going to be able to do it? Are they going to be able to get to the playoffs? And I think that's a different question. That's a different you know conversation because the East might be really tough. Maybe it won't be. Maybe some of these teams finally take a step back. But they can control their point total, right? They can't control what the number is to get into the postseason. But this is going to be a better hockey team than last season. If it isn't, something went wrong. And I can't really put my finger on what that would be right now unless it's the defense and the goaltending just not holding up. And so, you know, that's still a question mark but we've outlined some reasons why they can get that fixed you know whether it's a mentality from the forwards whether it's more depth on defense or the simplest one of all just a better goalie right like i do believe that they have a better goalie now than they did last season and that's only because craig anderson as good as he was at times you know he could only play like once a week you know, it's like you're, you're never going to be able to, you know, survive an NHL season, you know, if your goalie can only play once a week and if you don't have a legit backup. So I, and I also have some faith in Eric Comrie. We haven't mentioned him, you know, he's under the radar guys, a lot of injuries for him last year. Like 
I think he can be a decent backup. And I think he's shown that in his career. He's shown he can play after a long layoff, which I think is important for a backup. I don't know what's going to happen with Uko Pekalukinen. I don't know which direction his career is going to go, but it seems like Comrie, if he can stay healthy, can be steady enough. So, yeah, I'm over on 92.5 points, and I, I do think they're going to sneak into the playoffs. I think they're going to they're gonna get there. I just think they're a better team, and I think they're ready to handle it, but we'll see so, what happens. 92, obviously, would have got them in last season. The Panthers had 92, and then they go to the cup final. Of course, that was a monumental upset in the first round uh, against – the best team in the history of the regular season. So last season was sort of an, an anomaly in that sense. Um, I guess the expectation for a lot of Sabres fans, I think is, is the wild card. Um, but with the news of Andre Vasilevsky being out for the first two months, obviously Boston's lineup does not look nearly as intimidating as it did last season. Um, Panthers are obviously very good. Leafs are very good. Who knows with the Senators and the Red Wings? I think the Canadians are probably going to be bottom dwellers in that division. Um, do you think it's at least somewhat realistic the Sabres could potentially snag that third? I think second's probably too much to ask for, but that third spot in the Atlantic division and not even have to worry about the wild card. Also, could you imagine a first-round matchup between the Sabres and the Leafs? Oh, God. I don't, oh, even, want, I don't even want to think about it. I want to think about it because I've been I don't waiting. Want, no, I want to think about what I've the building, been waiting, no, what no, the building I've been would be like and how for that for 10 years, man, more than 10 it. years. I am the ultimate Leaf hater. Like, nobody hates the Leafs more than me here in Buffalo. I just, and I love the fans. I hate the Leafs. And if I, just, I, like, I don't want to think about how many Leafs fans would be at the first Sabres home game in 14 years you know what I mean? i'll boom out of the building when we walk through the corridor i, just, I don't know i just oh they can sing their guess, yeah. songs um, all they want i don't care we don't need to get too fired up here but yeah <laughs> that, third, that third that third that third spot in the atlantic division do you think that's at least reasonably possible i think it's attainable that that's what in my mind i'm thinking if they could i see them missing the playoffs absolutely like they <laughs> i mean they've done it a lot right like <laughs> it's pretty easy to envision when it's happened as much as it has and they're still young there's still things that could go wrong but i keep thinking if they do there's a there's a chance like the devils last year that they just they you know they go right through the door like they just knock it down and, and they're you know arriving officially the way a lot of people have been waiting for them to do it is a tough division but there are a lot of question marks a lot of stuff that we have to see play out and Tampa had questions before Vasilevsky got hurt. You know, Boston, I think, had questions coming into last year and obviously took this huge jump that even, you know, the most optimistic people in Boston, I don't think were expecting that. The Panthers have injuries. The Leafs are going through a little bit of a transition in some ways. And I would say, you know, they're still a pretty safe bet to be, you know, one of those top two teams. But the division feels like there's a changing of the guard happening a bit and that eventually, whether it's this year or next, the Sabres will be in one of those top three spots. And I do think that's probably what, you know, their ceiling is either third in the division, maybe second if, if they, re if Devin Levi is really, really good, but yeah, I don't think that's an unrealistic goal. I think that, you know, you look at what the Devils did last year and it feels like 
something similar could be attainable for Buffalo. Yeah. Um, and I just, uh, in terms of this year, I, like I said, I, I have them getting that last wild card spot for sure. I just, I, 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 I think kind of think what the same things we thought of this team back when they drafted Jack Eichel, you had Ryan O'Reilly, you went and you got Evander Kane when he was hurt. You know, he couldn't hurt your chances anyone in the tank here because he was hurt, but you already had him on your roster You get him healthy and you have all this offensive power. You have a Rasmus Ristolainen who at the time you thought was going to be, you know, a potential franchise defenseman, defenseman, see how that worked out. Mm-hmm. You know, you have all this optimism going into that season and it completely blew up in your face with the talent that they did have at the time. Sam Reinhardt, I forgot to mention his name. I'm even more optimistic now. Like I'm so much more optimistic because you're so deep in every position, except for in that, you know, we'll, that's yet to be seen, but I, I, I have them making playoffs this year. I think, you know, I know they didn't want to say playoffs or bust at the end of last season, but I, I do. I think, I think they're most analysts have them penciled in as a playoff team this year. Um, I absolutely do. I, I think they sneak in there. And once you're in the, once you're in the, you know, in the playoffs, anything can happen. Um, especially when you have a guy like Tage Thompson, another guy who many predict to win the rocket this year, will he, and, or can he, and will he is the question. I think that he does get 50 goals this season. Yeah. I think 50 is a, a good number that I think he, he was playing hurt for yes, basically from the all-star break on last year. Um, he was playing banged up and he, you know, still put up those goal totals. So I feel like I'm, expecting actually you know somewhere in that 50 range for him like i don't think last year was necessarily his complete ceiling he does need to become better in the 200 foot game um you know not just scoring goals you know and you know if you're going to be a number one center i agree with that playing a little bit better defensively but yeah it's hard to put a a cap on the number of goals he can score because the fact that he did what he did last season and for the last almost two months he was playing injured. I feel like, you know, that alone makes me think there's more there. Yeah. I mean, had 47 and 47 uh, last year, I think 50 and 50 hundred points is obviously super reasonable to expect. Um, And I guess right back to Darlene really quickly. And then I think I'm good. I think we've covered this entire roster for the most part. Um, Points, points for him. I mean, I think we mentioned it earlier. He was on a hundred point pace. Um, I think that might be a little bit high to expect from him, but as we've talked about with the new contract, with the potential future captaincy on the line, as his development continues, um, could he be a 90, 95 point guy? Like, does he take that next step, not only in goal scoring, but obviously on the power play, um, of course, Tage and Dowling, probably the two most important players on this team. And we saw what happened uh, when they both got hurt at a similar time last February. Um, what's the ceiling for him? Uh, what, what, do we, what do we think is going to happen with him this season? You know, it's tough because if that goal scored number goes down, then, you know, some point numbers have to come down with it. For sure. But I think he's more than capable of being in that that 75 to 85 range like year after year and being right around a point per game player and the pace he was on at the beginning of the year, not quite sustainable as it turned out. 
again, like Tage Thompson, he kind of just has to stay healthier than he did toward the end of last season because when he was playing through it, that took away definitely some of his offensive game. But, I mean, he's going to be here for a long time, and a lot of these offensive skill players aren't going anywhere in front of him. So could he, you know, one day be – you know, have a year where it's 90, 95 points. Sure. Like, I, I mean, he's an absolute freak with the the puck on his stick. Like he, he makes guys miss. He, he buys time. He's so fast. He's such a good skater. And it feels like both he and Owen power can be even better shooting the puck on the power play and, and getting, you know, shots through from the point. Darlene took a big step forward last year in that department, but yeah, there's, there's some untapped potential there for sure. Yep. Um, we're going to let you go here. Then, you know, thank you for you know, hanging on with us as long as you did, Matt. Uh, you know, I really, really appreciate it. Um, and uh, I obviously I'm assuming you're going to do exactly what me, both me and hurdles are going to do catch the second and third period of Connor Bedard uh, NHL debut against Sidney Crosby. I believe it's one, nothing after one, three shots um, for him in the first period. That's three shots. Good. He already hit that, that two, two and a half mark in Vegas. Will will Connor Bedard have two and a half shots tonight on goal. He already hit it in the first period. I think that was like one of the easiest bets in all yeah, that's... hockey tonight. He's like, yeah, he's going to have two and a half shots. Um, but I think one of the funniest pictures I saw was, uh, it looked like there was a discussion about penalties and Connor Bedard was in the ref circle. <laughs> like the kid's 18 years old and he's already talking to refs. Like, that's funny to me. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, he's the next big, uh, he's the next big deal, right? Going up against Crosby 18, 18 years ago, uh, drafted number one overall. And now he's double his age playing in, in the same, uh, in the same game. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. But thanks again, Matt. I appreciate it. I uh, look forward to having having you on again. Um, and again, uh, I do apologize for last week. For those of you who don't know, we were supposed to have Matt on last week, and then I had something come up at work, and I uh, had, to, had to cancel. And I thank you for your patience, man. I really do. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. All right. Remember, guys, this is brought to you by 43 North and Outlet Liquor, the place to buy a case over on Georgia Boulevard. I am Dwayne Steinel. For Connor Hurley and Matthew Fairburn, we will talk to you later this week. Hey, everybody, this is Dwayne from Two Goalies, One Mike, a show where we give you a behind-the-mask coverage of the greatest sport on earth, whether it be happening right here in Buffalo or around the hockey world. Now you might be thinking, hey, Dwayne, why would I want to hear what you two idiots have to say about hockey? Well, first of all, rude. Second of all, we bring in coaches, players, analysts from your favorite programs from ESPN to Sportsnet to TSN. We're always on it. If you're a Sabres fan or just a hockey fan, you can download us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can check us out at trainwrecksports.com. Thank you for your support, guys, and I'll hang up and listen. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. 
I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.